Lissandro and Roca Eterna. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn to Amos. Amos, I'm going to begin a new series called Let Justice Roll. Let Justice Roll. This is an Old Testament book. For many of you, maybe you've never heard of Amos, completely unknown, or you just think he's a famous guy that makes cookies, you know, or something. Um, but long before Amos the cookie maker, there was the Amos who was a prophet of God. And God used Amos in a mighty way to speak to both the people of the land or the culture and the people of Israel. In both cases, whether he is speaking to the world around them or whether he is speaking to the church or Israel, his message was kind of one of doom and gloom. It was repent, turn from your sin. But then he said, as you turn from your sin, pursue God, follow his commandments, and then you'll enjoy all the blessings that God has for you. Now, we've been going through the Bible this year. It's called The Journey. Many of you have read with us. And we believe that all Scripture is inspired of God. That's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy, right? It's inspired of God for teaching, for reproof, for, uh, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man and women of God, that's you and I, that we might be competent that we might be equipped for every good work. So even though this book of Amos is one that we generally probably stray away from, I want you to be encouraged today that God can speak to us and use this scripture and use this series to make us more competent to live in the world that we find ourselves in. It's good for us to look at some obscure portions of scripture. It's been a stretch for me. This is an uncomfortable book for me to be wading through, but I'm excited about it. See, Amos lived in the same time frame as Isaiah. We're familiar with Isaiah, uh, Micah, Jonah. Some were prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel. Some were prophets to the southern kingdom. You see, Israel was split during this time. And the reason that Amos is called a minor prophet has nothing to do with his message or the importance of what God had given him, but it's simply that he wrote less than the major prophets. Isaiah wrote a lot more than Amos. So it's only minor, not in the fact that his message is inferior. It's just that um, his writings are smaller. And what Amos will tell us today and throughout this next season of time, I think is critical for us. I think it's timely for us. Even though it was written eight centuries, that's 800 years before the coming of Jesus as a baby. So before Jesus was born, 800 years, and now we're almost 330 centuries later, actually, and it's still very relevant for us. And I think it's very relevant for the country of America that we live in. So this morning, I'm going to give you a, a real brief introduction to this book. Okay? If you have a, a, a program on the back of it, you'll see we're going to hit four different areas and just talk about these, these areas uh, 
the first prophetic words that Amos gave to the unbelieving people. And then next week, we're going to turn our attention uh, toward what he said to the people of God. And then we're going to learn what it means when God's justice rolls. Because remember, God is just, and God will make sure that justice happens at the end of time. We might see a lot of unjust things now, but God's justice will prevail, friends. So really the theme of Amos is justice. It's righteousness. Now it deals with punishment for sin, but it also deals with the reward that is given to us if we will repent from our sin and walk in alignment with the commands of God. Now, in the nine chapters of Amos, there's eight judgments that actually are given toward different nations. There's three prophetic uh, messages for Israel. Now, Israel was not a country per se. Sometimes we think of Israel as a geographical area. When we read in the Bible about Israel, we're talking about a group of people. So for our for our sake, when we read Israel, we should think just about the body of Christ. You know, all of us. Three prophetic messages for the people of God. And then there's five visions of God's punishment for their sin. And then, we come to the good part, there's restoration. Even though it's a book of gloom and doom, I want you to know justice prevails, and if we are walking with God in right relationship, good things are coming. Amos chapter 1, verse 1, this message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was the king of Judah. And Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, was the king of Israel. He talks about an earthquake. He talks about a disaster. We don't know a whole, whole lot about that. Although we know 200 years later after Amos wrote this, Zechariah refers to that same earthquake. Now, right now, Israel's in the height. Man, they are prospering. Uh, this is the northern kingdom, okay, so Israel's the northern kingdom. They're expanding, uh, their national economy is prospering. Everything looks good on the outside right now. Except God gives Amos a glimpse inwardly. And the people were actually very morally corrupt, socially They lacked in those things that God had commanded to them. The truth was, on the outward, it looked like they were prospering, but inwardly, the nation was rotting. It was decaying. Now, I've titled this message today, Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. And I've done that because it's some of the words that I heard growing up and maybe some of the words that you heard occasionally growing up. Your dad's at work and, you know, you and your brother, your sister get into a tiff and you don't really listen to your mom's correction. And your mother says to you, Jerry Ray, wait till your dad gets home. 
Now, it wasn't necessarily a threat. It was a promise. I mean, he was coming home. You know what I'm saying? And that time was unknown to me. Just as the time that Jesus Christ is coming back for us is unknown. But the fact is, mom was right. Dad was going to come home and hear about my misbehavior. And justice would prevail in the Beebe household. And when I think about that childhood memory, and as we look at the book of Amos, I realize this is exactly the message that God was announcing to the people of the world of that day and the people of the world in 2021. Oh, you might think you can get by with corruption, immorality, all the things that are out of alignment with my word. But you wait, because there is a day of reckoning that is coming. That's what Amos was telling the people. Hey, if you don't turn from your evil ways, if you don't change course, God's coming. Your heavenly Father is sending Jesus, and you're not going to enjoy the message that he brings to you. See, at times, Amos can seem like it's an ugly book. And not a whole lot of fun. But think of it this way. When my mom said to me, Jerry, you wait till your dad gets home, it gave me an opportunity to correct my ways. If it was 1 o'clock, I knew that dad would probably be driving in about 3 or 3.30. He would sharpen his chains on his chainsaws and... He would do some maintenance, then he would come in and take a bath after being out in the woods, falling timber all day. But around 4 o'clock, he would be ready to deal with the issue that mom would bring to his attention. And I want you to know, friends, there was an opportunity there that I could adjust my behavior. So maybe I could get back in mom's good graces before dad got home. So think of Amos not as a book of doom and gloom, but a message of grace. A message of grace to us because the Bible says make sure your sins will find you out. Sometimes we think, yeah, that's true of our country or that's true of those people down the street. But friends, that's true of you and me. Make sure your sins will find you out. It's a book of opportunity. And I think if there's ever time that God is calling us back to, into a life of holiness and righteousness, of right living, of doing things the way that he wants us to do, it's right now. There are warnings, but that doesn't mean that it's where we are today. It doesn't mean it's where we have to finish. The fact that God was issuing these warnings of pending judgment means that people had an opportunity, and you and I have an opportunity to turn around. The example we're looking at this morning is for our benefit. we got to remember that, particularly when we're studying the Old Testament. We think, well, how does this have any relevance to us? It has a lot of relevance. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Now these things took place and is as an example for us. So we can learn from this. We can learn as Amos in verse number 2, what he saw and what he heard, he said, the Lord's voice will roar from Zion, thunder from Jerusalem. The lush pastures of the shepherds will dry up. The grass on Mount Carmel will wither 
and die. There's four truths here I just want to kind of lay out this morning. See, if we're not careful, evil will always lead the way in our society, in our organizations, even in our heart. We need prophets, we need preachers, we need priests, we need the word of God to remind us. God is a God of grace and there's still time for us to amend our ways. Four truths. The first thing I think this text or this first chapter, I'm going to kind of cover the whole chapter, although we're not reading the whole chapter this morning. It teaches about the work that we're called to do. I really want to focus in on that for a moment. Well, what do we know about this guy by the name of Amos? We don't really know very much at all, to be honest. We know that he was a shepherd. He lived in this place called Tekoa. We just read that. Tekoa is about 20 miles south of Jerusalem, uh, a very um, country kind of town, even to this day. And 20 miles doesn't seem very far, but back then, it represented quite a journey. We're told that he was a shepherd, right? Now, remember, shepherds, that's not a regal position in any way. Being a shepherd was a lonely job, a dirty job. It was not prestigious. We know that to be true. In fact, in the Jewish Talmud, which, you know, told the traditions and the culture of those days, it states that shepherds were not to be brought into the courtroom because their word was not worthy enough to be a witness. Now think about that. There was so much bias against the lowly shepherds, they couldn't even testify in a Jewish courtroom. You know, if you were a father, you probably wouldn't in your social settings say, oh, let me tell you about my son Amos, he's a shepherd. <laughs> no, you wouldn't, because that job was pretty low on the social status. But Amos seemed to be okay with it. If you'll turn for a moment to chapter 7, you'll see Amos himself is not ashamed of where God put him. He was okay with his vocation. He didn't have to put it in his writings. Amos chapter 7, verse 14. But Amos replied, I'm not a professional prophet. I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd, shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. Man, think about that for a minute. Here's Amos one of the prophets of God who's saying, even though God is using me, I didn't expect to be a prophet. I wasn't trained to be a prophet. It wasn't part of my five-year plan. I didn't have any background for this. I didn't have any training for this. I'm just a herdsman. And when I'm not needed there, I go and prune sycamore fig trees. See, the guy really didn't have a whole lot going for him if you look at his earthly resume. Now we can learn from that that many of us sometimes concentrate on our earthly resume and we forget that God wants to use us. It's instructive, I think. Friends, God needs modern-day Amoses. He needs you to declare his truth. He needs me to declare 
his truth. And there might be some people here today, maybe even watching online, thinking, well, there's nothing I can do for God. I'm, I'm just a clerk. I, I'm, I just pick fruit. And nobody knows who I am. I just do menial work. Be encouraged, friends. God is looking for people who are simply available. Just like he chose Amos, he is choosing all of us today to shine forth his glorious light in this dark, pessimistic world. You and I should be shining the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. We're called to do that. Look at Amos. He was really lacking in every earthly status. But the fact is, God chose him. And as we read his prophecies in the weeks to come, we're going to see that God knew he had abilities that he didn't even realize he had. For one thing, he had this uncanny way of expressing himself poetically. And we'll see that in some of his writings. So friends, while the world might see you as unimportant, or even if you see yourself as unimportant, I want you to know God has given you gifts. You are God's workmanship. You are God's special creation to uniquely use your gifts and talents as Amos did. Note in Amos 7, 15. So he says, you know, I'm just a shepherd. I just take care of trees. And then verse 15 says, but. <laughs> I, I love that word, but in context. We can say, well, you know, I, I'm just a nobody, but I can't do that, but. You see, when God's involved, it changes the whole scenario. Amos says, I'm just a shepherd. I just take care of sycamore trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people in Israel. God wants to take all of us in whatever task, whatever obscure place we might live in and serve in. And friends, he wants to use you and me just like he used Amos in these last days. I mean, I'm, I'm still awestruck. Many of you know my testimony. I, I started kindergarten without really being able to speak. I had speech therapy up to eighth grade, and then when I enrolled at Oral Roberts University, they put me back into a, a speech program. I, I, people couldn't hear me. They couldn't understand me. And I, I am amazed that even though I had this terrible speech impediment as a kid that really hindered me in many ways, he's allowed me to pastor this great church in Wenatchee for all these years. You see, I could say, <laughs> I'm just a little boy from a country logging town in a wet place of Washington. And I couldn't even talk. I made up my own language. I, I couldn't pronounce all the English words correctly. But God, but God, and he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for me if we allow him to. Ephesians 2.10, let's look at it. Ephesians 2.10, but you, He's talking to you. You are my workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. You're created to do good works. Works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. And we should pray that God will do that in our lives. And when God calls us to do such things, we've got to be willing to do 
what he's asking us to do. See, that, that's really important. Are you willing? You might see yourself as small, but God's got a plan for you. I see three things that Amos kind of needs to do and all of us need to do. You need, you need to have faith. You need to have faith. You need to have obedience. And then you need the courage that the Holy Spirit will give you. Faith, obedience, and courage. That's what Amos needed. That's what we need. And you know where those things come from? Comes from our personal experience in God's presence. That's where it comes from. This shepherd of Tekoa saw God's concern for Israel. And Amos was so close to God's presence that God began to reveal his plans and purposes to him. It didn't come through education. It didn't come through natural skills and talents. It came because Amos lived in the presence of God. And if you and I can learn to live in the presence of God, we'll be more obedient and we'll have more courage to those things that God has called us to do. Another interesting thing about Amos is his name. His name literally means burden bearer. Burden bearer. He was to carry really what is a twofold burden. A burden for the glory of God and also a burden because of the sin in the world around him. We need to be Amos's today. We should be carrying a burden. We need to be people of God's presence. And that presence should impact us in everything we do. When we're talking, we have to realize we're speaking in the presence of God. We act in the presence of God. Our responses to people, whether they treat us good or bad, happens in the presence of God. That's a burden we're to carry. And we should also be carrying the burden of the sins. Our sins, sins of those around us, sins of our country. We need to have a burden for souls. A burden that those neighbors and those friends that we have that don't know the Lord have a burden that they come to know Jesus. We need to be burden bearers like Amos was. The next thing we see is the world that Amos lived in and the world that we live in. So the first thing is work. What work are we called to do? The second thing is the world. Uh, and as we look at the time of Amos, we can see that not really much has changed, to be honest. We're told in verse 2 that Amos lived in Israel in, in the days of Uzziah. Uzziah ruled after the three greatest kings that Israel ever had, the monarchs. Remember, there was Saul and then David, and then Solomon. They ruled over the combined kingdom. And after their rules, there was a civil war, and it caused Israel to be divided. Now, during that time, 10 of the tribes became the nation of Israel. That was the northern geographical area. So the northern kingdom, 10 tribes called Israel, 
There was two tribes that remained in the south. They became known as the nation of Judah. Yet they still had shared history, shared land, somewhat kind of like our Civil War back in the 1800s. Two factions, we know that. We've studied U.S. history. There's the Union and there's the Confederacy. There's a point in our country we had two presidents. We had Abraham Lincoln in the north and Jefferson Davis in the south. And it divided our country back in that day to the point that they had their own military force, they had their own currency. Now think about that. That's kind of what had happened in Israel. What happened in our own country. Kind of two nations, yet they shared a similar language. They shared a similar history. They shared a similar land. As Charles Dickens once wrote, uh, wrote, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It was the best because, as I said, the season that the combined nations of Israel and Judah had experienced under those three monarchs were wonderful years of prosperity, great territorial expansion. More than under David or Solomon, the nation grew larger than ever. Very, very stable. Both kings, Jeroboam and Uzziah, had long tenures. They both served about 40 years in their particular areas. There was agricultural productivity. Historians tell us that this is the time that Israel and Judah gathered the greatest harvest. And it resulted, of course, in economic prosperity. Happy days, we're here again. The two kingdoms were at peace with their neighbors for a long period of time, which, of course, would allow free trade and all that. Economy flourishes, and so people become more wealthy, they gain possessions, they live in comfort, they become very apathetic. That happens not only in our text, it happens in our own country, and even scarier, it happens in our lives, where we can become apathetic. We can lose the vision that God has. Man, for the most part, you know, we still live in a country that has political stability. You know, oh, there's little things here and there, but we don't have political coups like they do down in South America. You and I can leave our house and we don't worry about what's going to happen. The U.S. is still a, a prosperous nation. We're able to live at ease. So in some ways, like Israel, it's the best of times, but it's also the worst of times. We have political corruption like we've never seen before. We have injustice like we've never seen before. Just like in Amos' day, there was moral decay. There was social injustice. People treated each other like trash. There was political corruption. And even though the government was stable, it was corrupt. And worst of all, the people of God had become spiritually lazy. And they had become hypocritical. And friends, in a sense, it's almost like Amos is speaking to 21st century America. Man, we live in economic productivity and prosperity. But there's never been a day in my life that we've had such moral decay. 
such social injustice, political corruption, and the church has become politically engaged and spiritually lazy. Man, we need to hear what Amos has to say because it applies to us. And I think that's why God really last June began to deal with me about preaching out of Amos. I said, oh, no, Lord, you must, you must have the wrong number. You know, that's the guy down the street. That's not me. No. He said, no. And I've wrestled with this. But the more I've dealt with this text, the more I see how it applies to my life and to your life and our church and our community and our nation. That's the world. Now, the third thing we have here, and this is just all introductory, but it's the warning. Warning. A warning that Amos gives to six different places. And you can read through that. Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, uh, Moab, I think is in, in uh, the first verse of chapter 1. But there's six different places that he gives warning to. Now, these are not the people of God. Uh, these are the pagan nations. Okay? Now, he is going to deal with the people of God. But right now, he's dealing with pagan nations. And Amos opens up these warnings. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The lush pastures of the shepherds will dry up and the grass on Mount Carmel will wither and die. Now the roar represents the voice of the Lord. And it causes these shepherds to mourn and grieve. Now why would that be? Well, because a shepherd protects their sheep, right? They want to protect their sheep. A roaring lion represents a predator. He comes to destroy the sheep. John 10, 10 says that. Jesus has come to give us abundant life. Satan has come to kill, rob, steal, and destroy. This roar will wither Carmel. Carmel was this mountain full of lush, productive vegetation and beautiful flowers. Yet it says the roar of the lion will destroy it. It was the best of times, yet it was the worst of times. Bad times were coming. But God in his graciousness was giving a warning. Notice that each of those places Amos names, he identifies specific sins. Now, would God bring judgment upon a nation for one sin? Yes, just like he would upon us for one, one sin is enough to separate us from God. But in the text, if you look, six times Amos uses the same phrase. The people have sinned again and again. All six times he uses that same phrase. We see it again. When he talks about the people of Tyre, they've sinned again and again. Verse 11, the people of Edom have sinned again and again. Notice that. This sin has gone on too long. It's got to stop. And if you're not going to stop it, then the lion's going to come, and I'll stop it for you. Now, what were those sins? I, I want to summarize them today. We're going to look into them in detail, and we're going to look... And how it applies to us and to our country. And, but the three sins that God was really mad about. Cruelty. These are all C's. Cruelty, commerce, and carnage. 
cruelty. Isn't it interesting when he's speaking to Damascus here, he says they had gone to war with Gilead, but instead of just taking the land, they pulverized the people. They, they didn't just take the land, they went beyond that. There was cruelty. We see that in our world around us. There was sins of commerce, ungodly business. They sold whole people groups into slavery, just as America did. They tore families apart. They sold individuals who bore the image of God, like livestock. And we see it today, the commerce, the illegal transportation of humans. The sin of carnage says they desecrated things that were to be mine. In graphic terms, he said, you went after the unborn and you went after the dead. It tells me that God is watching out for the unborn. Desecrated. These three sins caused the Lord to burn in his anger. And these three sins, friends, are alive and well in America today. Man, the last hundred years, we've demolished whole cities around the world. And we joke about it, and we call it, oh, it's just shock and awe. That's the military term. Shock and awe. Are you kidding me? In God's eyes, it's cruelty of epic proportions. Trafficking of people, whether it's for slavery, there's still slavery. There's still slavery in Washington State. People who have been smuggled into our country, who are not paid for their labors, who are working in our fields. We all know there's human sexual trafficking. There is traffic on live in a well more than ever before. We can pretend it's not there, but friends, it's there. And God's going to judge us for it. What about the unborn? God help us. Notice what God's judgment is. It's fire. Every one of these judgments here is fire, and there's a reason for that. Fire purifies. That's why we want the Holy Spirit to send us fire upon us. We want to be purified. Fire purifies by destroying sin. The same fire each of these places would experience is the fire that all those who rebel against God will one day experience. Because God is a God of love and he's a God of grace but he also is a God of justice, which means he's a God of judgment. So we need to think seriously about the reality of what's going on in our own world, in our own hearts, because judgment is coming. And that's a burden you and I should be carrying as we deal with our next door neighbors and our co-workers Turn as we draw this to a conclusion to Revelation chapter 19, 11. We sang about this this morning. 
the Roaring Lion. It was one of the songs that Pastor Darth picked out. It's interesting that it was part of the music that we heard from Roque Eterna. In Revelation 19.11, it says this. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there, and the rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Justice is coming. Just wait till your dad gets home. We need to be Amos bearers, friends. Your name might not be Amos. You might have a menial task like a shepherd, but God wants to use you. He's created good works for you to do. Men will reap what they sow. And that leads us to our fourth observation, and that is the way we should go. See, God isn't speaking to us in this text yet. (laughs) Remember, this is to nations, not to the church. And we've got to be careful always dealing with the Old Testament. When God says something to a specific group of people, that doesn't mean that he's saying that to us individually today. That's, That's taking things out of context. Now, the principle might be the same. But let's be careful not to draw applications here because this was written to a specific group of people at a specific time. It was written to unbelievers. But it says, because of your sin, I'm going to judge and punish you. Now, thank God that's not true for us because our sin has already been judged and Jesus took the punishment. Romans says there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So see, this doesn't apply to us. God's not going to judge us for our sin. He's not going to to punish us for our sin. That's been taken care of. But are there sins that we haven't confessed? Are there things in our life that we know are not right? Things that God has called us to do that we haven't done yet. Now, I can't answer for you I can only answer for me but I encourage you as we wrap this thing up today to let the Holy Spirit show you your heart is there corruption there is there prejudice there is there sin there should we not stop you know teasing God we need to see him as that all-consuming fire that he is. We need to run to God for his forgiveness. We need to run to God for the apathy that we've shown. Even some of the things that we see around us that we just ignore. Friends, the roaring lion should cause us to change. The lion's coming. And he's going to do one of two things. He is going to protect you Or he'll destroy you. And the choice is ours. And the book of Amos calls every one of us, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, man, to get on our knees and ask forgiveness from the God of the universe who's promising judgment and punishment, but also inviting us into abundant life. Two scriptures, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 
If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. And then Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to conclude with this. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. It's a word that should resonate in our hearts. It's a word that should motivate us to live differently. It's a word that should cause us to be like Amos and say, you know, I might only be this, but God has called me to stand for righteousness. God has called me to speak truth in a world and a country that you just create your own truth. Isn't it crazy? People are just living in their own sense of truth. We need to walk in God's truth. We need to be burden bearers. We need to be warning our society, but it all starts here. We need to allow God to examine our hearts, and we need to repent. Let's vow in a word of prayer.